Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. It's great to have you back for another week of an immigrant's life. I am thrilled to have you here for another story-filled episode of our podcast. I appreciate your support and the fact that you're tuning in from wherever and whenever you are. Your presence means a lot to me. And as you know, you can find An Immigrant's Life on all major podcasting platforms, including YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to our channel so you never miss an episode. And I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave the podcast a five-star rating. Your feedback helps me improve and reach a wider audience. In addition to the podcast... We also share more content on our social media pages. You can follow us at An Immigrant's Life to stay updated and catch audio snippets from our episodes. Now, before we talk about today's episode, I want to give you a quick warning. This particular episode includes a discussion of a sexual act that some listeners may find upsetting. If you're listening with a child or if you're uncomfortable with explicit sexual talk, Please be aware of this content. I'm letting you know now so you don't go crazy on me and don't tell me I didn't warn you. Aight? But with that being said, in this week's episode, I had an incredibly diverse and engaging conversation with a fascinating individual. I'm confident that you'll thoroughly enjoy listening to this episode. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a writer, an educator, and a podcaster. Some people might think he's a giri and an irritable cabron, but he's actually an intelligent and likable son of a gun. Everyone, please welcome <laughs> Nolan Yuma. Love the introduction. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, man. I appreciate that you do the introduction. It's my pride and joy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good introduction, too. Spot on. I think it's... Uh... People have a bit of an idea about who I have now. Hey, I did, I did some research, you know, but yeah, it's it's the introduction is like my favorite part. Like it could the <laughs> the interview could go both ways, whatever. But if I can make the guest smile with my introduction, I'm good. <laughs> I guess I guess I guess they need to know what a giddy is. Yeah, yeah. Um, giddy's <laughs> to sum it up, a white ass foreigner in Spain. <laughs> By the way, I didn't know that word till I did some research about you. Yeah. <laughs> which I love. By the way, before we move on, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I don't know. I appreciate being uh, that you invited me on the show. I'm happy to be here. So, Of course, man. Why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Sure. So um, uh, where I'm focusing most of my efforts right now is on Substack. I've really been enjoying the community there. Um, I'm kind of tired of all the short uh, short form content <laughs> that gets pushed on social media. And on Substack, well, it gets pushed a little bit now with their new notes feature, but it's it's more of a subscription network. So there's a lot of long form stuff there. And I work as a writer. Uh, well, Aaron, you know, you were on my podcast as well. So I have my podcast and now it's all on Substack, which is bornwithoutborders.substack.com. Mm. And there you can find a whole bunch of my uh, contact information as well. 
And yeah, I'm always happy to engage with with everyone listening to this show right now. Because if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you're interested in immigration, the nomad life, uh, mm -hmm. third culture kids. So um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, before we get to anything else, I want to put some background about you for the listeners. Born in Santiago, Chile, took your first step in Antwerp of Belgium, then grew up in British Columbia, and now lives in Spain. Let's dismantle that a little bit. Talk me to from the beginning. Um, yeah, so I guess pretty much the way to define myself there is as a third culture kid is what mm. they say in psychology. And that's why I had so many identity issues when I was younger, probably still do. Um, pros and cons, you know, like kind of a chameleon, feel like a world citizen, open to a lot of different perspectives. And then, yeah, the downside is never really knowing where home is, not being 100% sure about who you are. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason that all happened is my parents, they're, they love to travel. Um, uh, my parents got married six after six dates. They went on six <laughs> dates and it was just a couple weeks and then they <laughs> went off to Jamaica and got married and they're still together. And they wow. were just traveling, working odd jobs, always in tourism. Um, and obviously I was a surprise, right? With that lifestyle, I just, <laughs> oh shit, we're having a kid. And um, well, yeah, then I was born in Santiago and then first kid, so kind of panicked. And they're like, okay, well, we want to go somewhere that's wild, but safe. And then mm -hmm. someone told them British Columbia. And they're like, all right, we'll go to British Columbia then. <laughs> and then they moved. That's not wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but the nature is wild, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the longer my parents live in Canada, the more they realize how much less wild it actually is than Europe in so many ways with all the rules and regulations. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I feel like British Columbia is like California of Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because they're close geographically. But I mean, I love British Columbia. Like, I haven't been there, but I would love to go. I was actually planning to go this year, but it didn't work out. But soon I'm going to pass by. Yeah, I know. You should go. It's Yeah. Your mom, where is she originally from? From Santiago? No, she was born in Argentina in Buenos Aires. Mm. Um, that's where she was spent the first six years of her life and then went back to Belgium because that's where her heritage is from, a lot of mm. her family. Um, so now she has, I think, 60 cousins or something because her her mom had like 12 brothers and sisters, so did her dad. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, that multiplies into cousins. Uh, so she has a bunch of cousins in Argentina and then um, a lot of family in Belgium as well. That's beautiful. Have you been to Argentina? No. No. No, which is crazy. Uh, my brother has a little brother. I just I didn't make it on that family trip. Um, mm -hmm. I've been great on the border. I've been in the Andes Mountains in Chile and like I could see Argentina. Uh, same as when I went to Patagonia. Um, but yeah, never actually stepped foot in it. I could see it though. <laughs> What's the reason why you haven't been there? Um, well, I just didn't work out with that one family trip and then just uh, yeah, haven't planned to go again. Like I, I wouldn't mm -hmm. like to go with my mom or just with with my family in general for the first time mm -hmm. um so yeah i guess just waiting for that opportunity to come back when we're all available mm -hmm. when i was doing some research on you i stumbled upon this beautiful amazing vancouver poetry slam that you did oh that's a long time ago <laughs> i was like yo this is cool man <laughs> thank you you liked it 
Yeah, I do. Listen, I think when I was, parts were, mm, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think parts now that I look back on it were felt a little bit pretentious. Um, I don't know, you're just, young, you know, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, when you're young and you start out writing, you're like, oh, I know a new word, I gotta <laughs> use this word. Most people don't know it, so it makes me look smart. <laughs> <laughs> you and me, homie. <laughs> and then like you're like going even in a conversation you're gonna try to squeeze in it in a conversation like look at me bro i'm smart yeah and then you'll yeah. never use it again because you don't know how to use it because you forget it <laughs> exactly so how did you get into poetry slam um man i just like all sorts of writing uh, mm. i also love performing so obviously performance writing <laughs> makes sense to do a poetry slam mm-hmm. um yeah but I, I kind of got out of it in Vancouver. Um, I don't know. At the beginning, when I did it at, at the first few times in Vancouver, it was really diverse. Like you had people from a whole bunch of different groups. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it kind of became this place for an, uh, LGBTQT society to come and, and talk about, like, you know, like all those things that they're facing and like, I, I love that and I support that, but it just eventually only ended up being that, at least mm. the the slams that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm in complete support of it. And I also believe that they should have a space to be able to talk about those things, you know, but it was just like, it, it didn't feel as diverse as it used to be. And maybe that's changing again, but yeah. Mm, yeah, it bec- I guess it, it went too left. Do you feel white guilt? No. No? Amazing. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, yeah. I, yeah. No, like... Ask me something that's more specific, because maybe maybe, like, maybe I do. I, I, I'd have to explore it a bit further. Because I, I have some friends that says that, you know, Caucasian looking, that they'll say, oh, you know, I feel so bad for the slavery. And I'm, I'll say, you didn't do anything. Yeah. You're not the one who own, quote unquote owned those people. You just, you know, unfortunately, you kind of look like those people that own those people. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like something like that. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've never felt, of course, I've, I think it's like I feel it when I see and read about slavery. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm affected by it and I think it's disgusting and I'm, I'm ashamed in humans and not ashamed about white people because mm-hmm. it slavery was happening in Europe amongst white people as well, mm-hmm. right? It was happening in Africa amongst mm-hmm. black people as well. Like mm-hmm. slavery is a historic thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to like justify it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. White people did it the worst and <laughs> on the biggest scale and for the longest period of time. So it's fucked up. But um what I don't feel bad. I didn't enslave anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I understand like the pr- what what kind of like privilege I have in the world? Do mm-hmm. I try and check my privilege? I uh, guess so. I hate that terminology. Check your that, privilege. Get out of here, bro. That's the thing, man. Like I feel like I I I was aware of my privilege and checked it before it became a hot button word. And Mm. now that people like check your privilege and now I fucking hate it. And it's like, I was on your side, you know, like I'm on this side. And just because of all these little hot button words and then especially labels, it Mm. pushes me off because like I've said this before, um, 
it used to be right-wing people and fascists that would burn books and tell you what you can and can't say. Mm-hmm. Now it's the ultra left, and actually, it's still the right and the fascists. But like the rhetoric around it just like highlights the left doing it, right? Um, and to me, it's like at the beginning they used these labels to divide and conquer. And then now with like critical theory and intersectionality, they're using all these labels, mm. I think with good intention, especially on the left, right? Mm-hmm. But really it's it's still doing the same thing. You're just constantly focusing on, on these labels and dividing people and putting in groups. Mm-hmm. And um, well, someone said it on your podcast. It's the, the Martin Luther King quote about when are people going to be judged by their their character instead of their skin color, mm-hmm. right? And I think so many people on the ultra left, they're doing all these things to have that end goal, but the techniques they're using aren't getting us there. It's just making us more divided. Mm-hmm. I say this to people a lot, that your intention and the result of that are completely two different things. You could say, I want us to not um, judge each other anymore. But the process that you're doing is not helping. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I understand what you're saying. And I feel like these people that talk about that just does not understand what fascism is really is. They don't mm-hmm. know how to live under dictators. My people live under a dictator. And I'm telling you, people are vanishing in the middle of the night. You say something bad, you vanish. I promise you. This is Marcus, the original, um, Ferdinand Marcus. But you know what's funny was I talked to a lot of my family members about that. And I asked them, like, how was it? How was it to live? Because I, I was, I believe, four years old when they kicked him out. And I asked people. I had a family member that it was a teacher. I said, Yo, how, how was it? Like, well, you know, it was peaceful. Just don't say anything crazy. Is that good or no? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're safe, but are you really safe? You know, I asked my dad. I said, dad, how was it? How was it to grow up during that, those times? Like, he said, it was fine. I mean, some soldiers will harass people for no reason. But really, life didn't change pretty much because you know how people have this grand idea of that if you vote donald trump the world will end it doesn't really work the end it will change a little bit but day to day it doesn't really right mm-hmm. you know yeah. what i'm saying do you, do you agree what i'm saying yeah no i i agree i agree um also kind of see that it's bringing a bit of a different direction is with this whole like, left-right divide, you know, and people say, oh, if you vote for someone who's ultra-right, the world's going to end and everything. And it's like, it's kind of a false dichotomy when categorizing people anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Like people have some things they might be right about, some things they might be left about, but it's just always now put into a way like these are two categories of humans. And that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. not the way it is. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right? You're living in Spain. Do you feel that what's happening in America is affecting what's happening in Spain? Yeah, uh, to an extent. 
Like, that's why I say I sometimes hate American cultural imperialism. And I mean, nowadays, as as many horrible things that the West has done in the past and that America has done in the past, like helping fascist dictators like Pinochet and Chile on the power. Like if we look at um, like Central America and South America and all the shittiest things America did and what the West did in the past. But nowadays, the West, most Western countries have the like most women in power in government and things. And when it comes to like equal opportunity and thinking about um, equality and stuff, like the West is doing pretty good, right? So I... I think it's good to think about those values and not not always focus on the past of the West and be like, oh, they're shitty. It's like, well, look, look at the things we're doing good right now. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, there's still things that are happening in the West and in America that I don't agree with at all. And then it always starts in America and then comes through to Europe. Like mm-hmm. if we're talking about kind of the culture wars in America with you know, like hyper political correctness and like wokeness and everything. Mm -hmm. I remember that was just like three years ago when I first was in Spain, people didn't know what the term woke was. I knew about it. I was like, really? You don't know what the term woke is? Like it gets brought up every day nowadays, right? Like we don't know what that is. Now everybody knows what the term woke is. Is this like, so you can see it's a little bit behind and then it trickles in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I see that. I want to ask you about something since you live in Spain. There was some issue a few years ago, maybe still up, that catcalling in the U.S. is frowned upon. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Does it happen in Spain and how does the women react to it? Um, I don't man, like I think it's best that you ask a woman that question. I have asked some women that question here mm-hmm. in Spain and I get mixed responses just like okay. I get mixed responses anywhere. Um, but I will say, um, here in Spain, it's still okay to smile at a girl. It's still okay to flirt with a girl without being a sexual predator. Like in Mm -hmm. North America, like, I feel like I have to walk around with a legal document for like smiling at a chick, you know, it's like, oh, you're a pervert if you looked at me that way Mm -hmm. here, like. I noticed like women still like to be looked at, you know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) hell yeah. Right. And in North America, they do too. But then it's like, it's like I don't know, in North America, there's just so much anger. Um, I so know, I know it's less of that. Like, it's it's easier to flirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I saw or heard some women that, uh, this are online, by the way, that says like, oh, I dress up for uh, for myself. But what do you really want? Why would you make yourself beautiful, put makeup on everything? You want attention again not the pervert's attention but men attention but do not say that you're doing it for yourself a hundred percent no you're trying mm-hmm. you're like a peacock you know you're trying to beautify yourself and say yo what's up yo this is what i look like i'm beautiful that yeah. by the way that goes about men too that's why we buy cars and i don't know work out and do stuff we all want to be appreciated and looked at Again, not yeah. in a very, you know, pervert way, but still, I, I just don't like that way. I, I appreciate oh, yeah. that. Hmm. I, I experienced the double standard there. 
Now, before before I tell the story about the double standard, I want to highlight that I understand that I have an exception here and that women, on the other hand, have to deal with this shit every day in the <laughs> office. And I understand that women have it way harder than men when it comes to this shit. Mm-hmm. But I'm just pointing out from my own personal experience to have just to point out the double standard and also just to think not where what happens when you get the power all of the sudden because mm. we always think about when we're talking about this like women women versus men but it's really like who has the power and that's why i'm totally pro like women having more power and um also thinking about all the shit that happens in the office and men like those type of men definitely need to smarten the fuck up <laughs> um but anyway so that, that all being said uh i i worked as a fitness model i worked as a go-go dancer yeah i did all that stuff so i often um helped out or i got paid because <laughs> not really helping i got paid uh to dance on the floats during pride parade uh the gay parade in vancouver and i i would do it all the time it would usually be for like td bank or trojan condoms um and i'm i'm a straight guy right but i'm totally on the side of the LGBTQT community, um, all that. But I was there working, right? But since I was there working and and dancing and everything like that, a lot of the women, I guess, assumed that I was gay. Mm. Um, but I would, I would be there shirtless, you know, <laughs> provocative, pumped up. <laughs> and what I noticed was that women would start slapping my ass without asking me, start like start rubbing my abs without asking me i of course i liked it <laughs> I didn't yeah, mind. but it just goes to show it's like all of a sudden they're in this environment where it's like the it's it's free for them to have that power and to do that and then mm. they take advantage of it right away right so and not that it, I'm, I, it affected me in any way but it's just like i noticed like holy shit they're acting like the dudes in the office right now Mm-hmm. I 100% I, I agree with that like you know I I don't like the double standard and I find a lot of commercials now most of them makes the man look like stupid or you know a man child like a great example is one of these I think it's an insurance company and the woman's talking about the insurance and the guy is just they're on this like what, I think some sort of a segue, you know, this machine that you hovercraft kind of. And they, in the end of the commercial, the guy falls in the water. And then the woman's like looking disappointed. That's double standard. They always, that's sexist. Right? Yeah. God forbid you put the man talking smart shit and the woman's like, you know, spinning around and falls in the water. Guess what's going to happen? That thing's going to get canceled. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is what I mean. Like, I do not appreciate the double standard. I do not appreciate the, that people are... If you're saying what I'm doing is racist or man is doing racist, you cannot do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, and it's, it creates, I find, bad... Most of the time, bad art. Like, a great example is Ghostbuster, the women edition there. That's a horrible <laughs> movie. <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, me, I actually love women protagonists as long as they're badasses. Great examples, Alien. Uh, the recent Ghostbuster, the kids, Ghostbuster, the main protagonist is a girl. She's mm-hmm. a badass. You know why? 
Not because she's a girl. She's just a badass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the the best example I think from recent years, oh, what's the movie Nomad? Why did okay. I forget? Oh, I forget the actress's name. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also the one from three three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yes, yes, I know her. the main the main character. Yeah, oh, I forget her name because oh she's got in all I the see her stupid face. celebrity magazines and everything. She's, she's like so good, face. though. Yeah, what's up with the movie? Well, I was gonna say she doesn't really play in any of like the Hollywood blockbuster shit. She only plays in brilliant movies, mm-hmm. and she's always just the badass female protagonist, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't see her getting involved in these like conversations, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't know, <laughs> like the women playing superheroes and everything. She just creates amazing art. Yeah, like the most recent one that I say that I enjoyed a lot that the protagonist is a, a person of color and she, not because she's a woman the character is amazing no because she's a badass it was um triangle of sadness i haven't seen that okay the, the one of the main characters she's filipina right and she's a badass because she's a badass that's the only reason there's no like oh by the way she's cool because she's a person of color no yeah She's just a badass, all right? Leave her alone, you know? Anyways, let's change topic a little bit because I really want to talk about this. Living with in-laws, your book. (laughs) What's going on here, man? I love this one. I haven't got a copy yet, but I was reading a part of it, and I find it really funny. Like, do you like uh, David Sedaris? Oh man, good call. You're smart. <laughs> uh, that's ex- he's the per- he, That's what gave me the confidence to write the book. So mm. I was actually writing this book for just jotting down notes the whole time I was living with my in-laws, right? Four mm. years. Um, ex-in-laws now. Mm. Um, a little bit of a spoiler in the book, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and I was just always jotting down all the interesting stories, all the interesting notes. And I was like, how am I going to turn this into a story? Like every time I started writing, I was like, it's kind of coming out in short stories. And I was like, yeah, there, there is a, a narrative that connects everything. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm, I'm really loving these short stories. But who, who the hell reads short stories? Short stories don't get sold anymore. That's the thing of the past. And then I was like, oh, it's also kind of like an essay format a little bit. And then I found David Sedaris and I was like, whoa, this guy's successful. Maybe I could do it too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when did you publish the book and how was the writing process was? Um, I got a double check when I published it. I think it was four years ago or three, three and a half years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. As, as, as I said, I ha- already had all the notes and had a lot of stories in mind before. Um, <clears throat> and then I moved to Spain mm-hmm. and uh, we broke up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, well, she, she broke up with me. <laughs> and then, of, of course, I was heartbroken. But then it was like, this is also such a good ending to the book. This all of a sudden, like, and all. The, and then I think it's just like the. I mean, I don't like the type of writing where people, you know, they use it as their diary and everything. It's like, if you want to keep a diary, keep it to yourself, then you don't (laughs) need to publish it out to the world. So it's not like it's that style of book because Mm. I'm not really the only main character. Neither is uh, my ex. It's Mm. actually her mother who's kind of the main driver of the book because Mm. I found my relationship with her to actually be the most interesting. 
Mm-hmm. And then when I actually worked with one of the story editors, she said that she said like, Nolan, you have this great book. That's not just a breakup story. It's about finding a sense of home. And there's also this relationship with the mother-in-law. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last chapter ended kind of near the breakup. And she's like, you can't do that. This, this isn't a breakup book. That'd be so weak uh, from all your other things you have set up. Mm-hmm. So then I add another chapter um, based on a letter from my ex mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that kind of just all of a sudden wrapped everything up in the story, but also for myself, like I started becoming so really aware about some of the things that I was doing and things that were happening in, in the relationship and everything. So um, on one side, it was kind of like that therapeutic writing, but then, you know, through the editing and everything, I really thought like, okay, how could I make this entertaining for the, the reader as well? Mm-hmm. You said that it's a semi-autobiographical. I'm going to guess there are some parts that are, I don't know, was it fictionalized? Yeah. Mm, well, so I, I changed the names mm. um, of many characters. I like Because some, some people I know are in the okay. book. Some people said, I want you to change my name. Some people said, keep it. So that's mm. one reason. Um, and then, yeah, parts, like everything is true in the book, but there are like dream sequences that I kind of change. Um, and then, you know, I do take some creative merit in, in some stories, just like time-wise, like realizing, okay, this actually happened four months later, but I'm going to throw it in with this just so it actually has a bit of a, a character arc here or that it actually kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there's little things like that. Um, so that's the reason. And then third, also because that's how David Sedaris describes his books, really. I was like, what is, what is my book? What is this? And then I was like, looking at David Sedaris, I was like, semi-audiobiograph. Yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> I love Sedaris, man. That's my dude. Yeah. I love that. I remember when I discovered him and I just immersed myself with Sedaris. And I liked, I used to like writing, well, I still do, but... I don't re- write as much anymore. And I remember writing this story one time and I was like, yo, this is sounding like Sedaris. Like, I got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found yourself doing that, you as a writer, that you're currently writing a book and also reading a book and you find the voice, you're kind of slowly, the writer's voice is going to your uh, ri- writing? I'm, like, I try not to. And I think I have a pretty distinct voice. Like, mm-hmm. when someone someone reads my work like yeah that's nolan mm. or even just any opinion i share or anything like that it's like yeah that's nolan um but uh, more so with plot devices structures um like you know certain techniques about with the craft uh, i definitely try and take that from other writers and try and adapt that um the voice leaking through Actually, again, with Sedaris, happened a little bit with the book Living with the In-Laws because I saw how much success David Sedaris had with being so honest about himself um, and also honest about his flaws. Mm-hmm. So I am pretty self-deprecating in the book and mm-hmm. really honest. And now that I read back on it, it's almost like, shit, maybe I was almost too honest, but in the sense of like naive dialecticism, like where there are multiple truths in a mm. person mm-hmm. and I often in a situation decided to show the worst side of myself mm. um, rather than I could have like also highlighted the good part of myself within that story. Right. Cause there's always mm. 
I don't know. I think I have a little bit more of like an Asian mindset there, almost like having an holistic approach where, you know, there's two possible truths. Mm-hmm. And I focus so much on the the negative stuff because I saw that's what Sidaris had success with as well. I was like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna do it. Um and now it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been that <laughs> that open. <laughs> Why? I mean, that's you. Yeah. Right? But parts of it's like not me anymore which is interesting mm. too right like it i think people should focus on the arc in the book you do see the character arc of someone from his mid-20s or uh, uh, uh young 20s to mid-20s and and going to university and how how i changed and matured in many ways kind of mm. um but yeah it's just it's like did did i need to be that that naked <laughs> in my writing <laughs> Yeah, and that if you read the book too, when I say that naked, it's um, definitely has two meanings because I definitely <laughs> write about all the times I got naked for people for money as well. So I was gonna say, <laughs> I was reading parts of it through Amazon, and I was looking at the reviews, and there were a few that are very critical. Right? Do you read the reviews, and how do you approach? mentally the negative reviews um i i i almost prefer the negative reviews just so i can kind of learn and because i'm always looking for ways to improve um but Mm. the reviews on amazon are all really good like there are um that was like 17 reviews or something i think and Mm -hmm. 16 are five star ratings with like a lot of uh, notes about the comedy and there's one that's a four-star rating and that one's critical but it's i loved it it was so helpful um and it was it was a really detailed one and yeah it just made me think about okay what can i do in the future to be better mm-hmm. before you publish the book was there a part of you that says i don't know if i should post this because this is me this is a part of me this is my soul i'm going to expose to people um well not about myself more about the people in it um Mm. i mean they all knew that i was going to write about my life and that i am a writer and that i always write about my life so Mm -hmm. like they knew that from the beginning um, at the beginning, they were way more open about having their names, <laughs> their real mm. names and everything. And then after it was like, no, please change the names and everything like that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, just changing certain elements to make sure that they're okay with everything. Mm. Um, but as far as myself, I I don't know, man, like, you know me, I wear my heart on my sleeve, kind of, I'm so open. Um, mm. I don't mind putting myself out there in the world. Amazing. When is the new book coming up? I don't know. Right now, I'm just busy with the Substack. So I'm, right yeah. now, I'm writing a bunch of essays. Not quite like the Sedaris anymore. They're a little bit more academic, um, but academic with with humor. <clears throat> um, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Some people seem to really like it, but I'm definitely not reaching as big an audience as I like. Um, I think because sometimes like the academic side is kind of serious and then how well, people can just hear on the show i'm pretty straight up with my opinions and everything it's i think it might be a little bit jarring at times mm-hmm. um but i'm still publishing some short p- fictional stories um yeah yeah for sure man i love your i love your um 
content, there was one thing that I found very interesting about the men that swallows or something like that. The men that swallow. Yeah, it was a little bit of clickbaity <laughs> title, but, but I was like, "Yo, this is heavy, man." Was that based on experience, or you heard it from someone? How did you create that uh, piece? Um, well, it just so it's it's one of the first things I read in cultural psychology in university. So the men who swallow where it comes from is that story from the Zambian people, mm -hmm. right? Where the boys have their rites of passage where they become men by ingesting semen, mm -hmm. right? And the the idea behind it was kind of this introduction about how we think about sexuality and how in the West and, and many parts of the world, we see sexuality as either you're gay or you're straight or, you know, you could be bi as well, but you don't, you don't see it progressing or changing over life, right? Mm -hmm. And then in their culture, they start off gay, right? That's that, or the boys, at least they have to. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, they, they give blowjobs, fellatio, and then at a certain point, they're allowed to be the ones receiving the fellatio. That's and then, crazy. then at some point they become men. And once they are a men, because they've ingested enough semen, then they're allowed to be straight and marry a woman. Wow. And when I heard that on uh, in psychology, and it was actually the opening of the textbook by um, uh, Stephen Hine, Stephen J. Hine, and that's how he kind of opens the textbook and then gets into cultural psychology and all the study methods and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's heavy. I've heard of that from the, a Papua New Guinea tribe, but I didn't know anything about Zambia. Yeah, the Z Z Zambian in, in Papua New Guinea. Oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, S A M B I A N. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, but um, yeah. So it's in northern Papua New Guinea. But what's so interesting about it is that it's not actually an isolated phenomenon. It hmm. there is another tribe somewhere, I think it's in Africa, and it's hmm. the same type of idea, except for ingesting the semen orally. It's um, anally. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, I, wow, that's listeners heavy. right now are probably thinking, man, you guys are quite I the know topic. it's so hard, eh? <laughs> but, hey, uh, you know what, dude? I like talking, so but it, it, it's like for me, my main thing is it was a great piece. Thank you for that, and I love the the story in the front of the piece. And you mentioned it was fiction. Uh, well, that part I was—it's fictional. It's based on reality about. Um, those people, right? But mm -hmm. I wrote it from a character's perspective, right? I was mm -hmm. trying to put myself in the character's perspective. And then after, as you know, in the article, then I start talking about when can we kind of blame a culture for a certain action? Like, should we all be cultural relativists and just say, okay, you know what? If it's their culture, it's okay, as long as, as they're okay with it. Mm -hmm. Or is there a way for us to start thinking about like, no, these practices are wrong on a universal level, especially because we live on such an intertwined, globalized world right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure about it, but I think there must be some kind of way for us to agree when some cultural practices need to stop or how they need to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely don't want to be one of those Westerners coming in there like, oh, like, you know, I, I fucking hate 
American imperialism, especially the cultural imperialism and making yeah. everything homogenized. So it's it's not that, but just thinking about it really from a moral standpoint, right? Like how can we decide what is wrong and what yeah. is right? I think that's for I think that's impossible to create a line because like you said, you're you know, you're a Caucasian man coming in there like, hey, by the way, guys, people will look Oh, look at this white dude coming to the people of color that, you know, telling us what to do. Yeah. You know what, dude? Leave them alone. That's what I say. You know, I get it. It's, you know, of course, you know, with our mentality, I think that's not cool because, you know, these are innocent kids, right? But, you know what, dude? It's their culture. What are you going to do? You Definitely, know? but but also think just I mean back in the day that made a little bit more sense because if you were part of a certain culture and you were isolated from all the information, kind of like ignorance is bliss, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't know that giving fellatio to an older man could be something that could be harmful, or maybe maybe it's not in their culture. I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. But if you don't have access to that information, but nowadays most people have quite a bit of access to information, and I mm -hmm. think. That's why maybe it's like, okay, do we just leave that shit alone? Or do we figure out ways to listen to the culture and figure out how to maybe help people change, right? And I'm just talking about cultures outside the West, same like in the West, right? We have a shit ton of flaws. Mm -hmm. and I would I would love people from outside of the West, you know, to kind of come in and they do and share their perspectives. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh shit, maybe the way we're not, the way we're doing things isn't quite right. That's mm -hmm. why in that article, I also bring up... Um, uh, like beauty pageants with little girls. Yes. I think that's morally wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though I'm from the West and it's kind of like, or uh, from North America and it's a North American thing. Mm -hmm. Right? So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. We have so much of that in the Philippines, dude. Like beauty contests. It's yeah. insane. Like we tackle or we approach beauty contest or specifically Miss Universe like it's Super Bowl. Like, it's the biggest thing in the whole wide world. And I'm like, and you know how now that people are talking about beauty standards? But we still approach it that way. Now, if you're a Westerner coming going back there, you could say, like, this is wrong. You know, there's a beauty standards and whatnot. Bro, there's a reason why they're beautiful. Why there's a standard, you know? <laughs> you cannot just, you and me, you're a good-looking son of a gun, you know? But, hey, are you Brad Pitt? I don't think so, homie. And that's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I get, I get hate. I don't share this opinion very often because <laughs> people got to hate on it. But I don't really mind the beauty standards that are really high, unless they're unrealistic. Like, for, for women, you know, like a lot of the time in magazines, you see... Um, it's it's uh, altered afterwards where the woman's head is actually bigger than the shoulders and that's promoting like um, anorexia and shit like that. Like that, those kind of beauty standards I'm against. But as far as like dudes, dudes and like, you know, like the super muscular guys and everything, that's one of the reasons I'm so fit. <laughs> it kind of like got me into it. And I know it's kind of a superficial goal, um, but hey, it, it makes really you feel got good, me into dude. fitness and yeah, and makes <laughs> I, you feel, I feel good, good. Makes you feel healthy. What's what's wrong with that? I agree with you. With but I'm talking about, you know how South Korea they're famous for um, what do you call this? Like um, Jesus Christ, 
cosmetics and cosmetics like they'll fix their faces they're so famous for that right that's their thing yeah that i don't like i don't like that like fixing your face to make yourself quote-unquote beautiful that's not cool with me but if, yeah. if you come out that beautiful hey you cannot tell someone you cannot be that beautiful because we cannot be that beautiful yeah, yeah you know survival of the fittest man <laughs> Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's always interesting when I learn a lot of, about like what you just shared with me about the Philippines and then think about South um, South Korea. Yeah, you always kind of think about America being like the superficial uh, culture and kind of pushing that, but it's it's not <laughs> in comparison to some other countries. Like when I hear about what goes on in South Korea and how much time they spend on their appearance or the importance of it, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Have you had many people from South Korea on the show? Maybe I missed an episode. I think there. I have had one. Yeah, I think I had one uh, South Korean. Why? Why did you ask? Well, I don't know any listeners as well. Like, I'd I'd be curious to know more about it. Like, I heard that um, before you go on a date, and mm. it's it's a date for to get into a relationship. Mm. It's all online, and. The woman has to know your salary first, has to know what kind of car you drive, has to know your height. Like you, they, those things are the most important mm-hmm. and you have to do that before actually meeting the person. That's crazy. And if you just want to meet the person just to have sex, like if you just want to have a one night stand, mm-hmm. I think you go out Saturday. And if you go out Saturday to these, like, you know, a club where you go dancing, it means yeah. you want to fuck. <laughs> like, there, there's no, it's not about relationships at that point. If you want a relationship, online first, put in your salary, put in your height. Mm-hmm. But if you want to sleep around, go out on Saturday. I why Saturday, though? I don't know. That's why, like, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm not 100% sure about this. I have to look into it more. This was just, um, uh, yes, it's just someone, someone told me. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. I used to love to write as well, short stories, poetry as well, but more short stories. It, that's actually how the podcast started, An Immigrant's Life. I've talked about it ad nauseum, that I was collecting the stories of immigrants. And then there's a voice in my head that says, hey, you need to save this story. So I started writing the stories. I was actually going to do short stories collection, which I did. And then I stopped life happened and then and then podcasting showed up and i said oh you know what dude maybe i'll do podcasting you know yeah yeah man you you should, i think you should try out the writing like on substack as well you could put some of your episodes of the podcast on substack and and maybe write stories in relation to the episodes i've kind of thought about doing that on my podcast as well mm. um like from all the things I'm learning from the guests and then writing maybe even a fictional story just based on the information and kind of connecting the two. Um, I get it. Bro, I'm lazy, okay? I got so much <laughs> stuff to do. You're not lazy, man. You got a podcast. You're an artist. You have kids. You have a job. And you're I, pulling uh, it all off. I know, but here's the thing with me. If I get into something, I want, want to be the best at that thing to myself. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to start a Substack and writing again and all this, you know how hard writing is. It's so difficult. It's so, it takes so much time. And especially me, I'm so, self, like you, self-deprecating. I'm so hard on myself. I'm like, I'm not 
I'm more. I I heard this podcast from uh, Malcolm Gladwell about uh, two type of artist. Uh, one that is does doesn't art, and then it's over. It's finished. It's perfect. You know, that's Picasso. And then I believe it was Matisse that he will continually work on the art over and that it'll never end. I feel like I'm that guy. I'm Matisse. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a type of Picasso or Matisse? <laughs> um, yeah, while you were saying that, I started thinking about it. Uh, I I don't know if I could be either or. Maybe a little bit in between. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe a little bit more because like at some point I'm just like, I just want to get this out there. I want to get reactions and then I can always change it after. Mm. You no, know, I, th- I think I have a little bit of that attitude. Like I, I want to make sure that I feel proud of it. And I, I do do a lot of rewrites and edits, put it out there. And then I just hope for critique and everything. And then, and then I can always create something new afterwards. Mm. I see that. I see that. Has this ever happened to you that you write something, you put it away for I don't know how long, and then all of a sudden you see it and you start reading it and you say, yo, this is good. Who wrote this? Yeah, yeah. Or the opposite. It's like, this is shit. Who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, that happens too. But most most of the time, the garbage part. <laughs> but yeah. when, I read, when I read something and it's good, I'm like, yo... This is good. Also, has it ever happened to you that you write something, you put it away, you read it, and you're like, man, this sounds like this writer or this artist? Mm, no, not quite. Again, like same answer as before. Like I see some of the, the structural things that I was kind of copying at the time and just trying to incorporate into my own work. But voice, I'm always like, oh, yeah, that was me in my 20s. That was me at this point. Um Especially, obviously, but from first person. If I write from third person, um, sometimes I'm tr- I, I try and get into a different narrator's head. Like I, I also pursued acting for a while, and mm. when I'm writing, sometimes I love writing from a different narrator narrator's perspective, um, and I, I find that really enjoyable. But then, even still, I never think like, "Oh, this reminds me of another writer." I'm always like, "Yeah, this is this is kind of what I wanted to do." Mm. I say that because I remember specifically one of my poem that I wrote and I was reading it I'm like yo this sounds like Cohen Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Which I was a big fan which I'm a big fan but during those time I wasn't listening to him. But it's like man this I'm not saying it's a good oh, as good as Cohen's poem but I'm like this sounds like him. I mean I'm proud of it because it's it's such a good poem but yeah, it's one of the my fear as a writer that like I don't want to write something and post something and then then comes out like yo this is this is not your line this, this is someone else's line. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I'd have to read it to have any like anything to say about that. But mm-hmm. I'll send I it think to you. If, then. I think if you're not trying to copy someone and there's something that's that's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I hate that shit, I, man. We could get into a whole conversation about that, too, when it's like, when is it stealing someone's idea? Like, is art something that you can claim as your own? And Sure, yeah, let's get into it. Because offline, we're talking about AI tools, right? Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. 
And, you know, with this, like, when is art and who who really owns the art? Like, did you really write that or so, the muse whispered it to your brain? Yeah. Um, I think the older I get, the less fear I have that people are going to steal my ideas. Also, probably because my ego is smaller than it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, um, I mean... Uh, like it's kind of like as you said, the muse, right? What what is an idea? What what is consciousness, really? Like mm -hmm. we get a whole philosophical conversation there, but I think what is consciousness and what is art kind of play kind of ties into one another because these are some ideas that just kind of pass through you, right? Mm -hmm. Is um, and that makes me think of the Bill Hicks quote: "We are all one consciousness experiencing life subjectively." Mm. And that also kind of makes me think about the ideas and stuff. Like, is this just me or I'm, I'm just part of this ride and I'm lucky enough that this idea came to me in a way that my brain was able to process in with its knowledge of craft, mm. right? Like someone who has no knowledge of writing craft might've had the exact same idea as me, but since I had the craft, I was able to like do something with it. Yeah, um, I see what you're saying. I how I approach this is if the muse whispers to me like word by word, I'll say, yeah. "Okay, this is someone's idea." I don't know whose person, but this is not me because that they yeah. give it to me, you know. But if it's a line and then I have to work on it and use my tools, then I'll say that's my idea. Okay. Okay. You know, like so, like there's there's some poem that was whispered to me i'm like yo this is i'm gonna write this down this is mine yeah. now <laughs> well okay they're breaking it into ai how what what do you think about what everyone's saying with ai and like chat gpt like who owns these answers um are people stealing the work from other people by getting these answers from ai what, what yeah. do you think i mean really like Chat GPT and AI. By the way, I've been using AI now recently, especially with the posts and whatnot. I don't know to be honest. I haven't had a chance to think about like who owns who owns it or who thought of it. But for me, okay, this is how I, I use it. Like, okay, if I'm gonna write something about something, not a story or a poem or whatever. I'll write a word or a line or whatever, and then ChatGPT will give me something or whatever else. And then from then, I will create my own. Mm -hmm. You know? So am I stealing an idea from someone? But really, we're all standing on shoulders of giants. Let's not fool around, right? So that's how I approach. But if I take that answer from ChatGPT and copy-paste it to whatever I'm creating, I think that's stealing. From someone, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, if you're going to copy and paste full answer, I, I have to think about it a bit more too. But so far with my experience with ChatGPT and, and like using some of the art AI and everything, has this been a way to make the writing process and the creating process faster? Mm, yeah. Um, like I don't feel... Like it's gonna take my job. <laughs> I don't feel like it's it's making me less creative. It's just aiding me 
in the creativity. That's how um, I approach it too. Yeah. And I, I mean, a lot of listeners who are probably against AI might, might all of a sudden have like a list of reasons in their head right now saying why it's horrible. Uh, yes, I know. I've, <laughs> I've read the comments. I know there <laughs> chances are it could be really bad, but I don't know. I'm just focusing more on the positive with it right now. And it's, it's almost like that whenever there's a revolutionary, um, invention right mm-hmm. people are saying like, oh everything's gonna change everything's gonna go to shit and mm-hmm. like it doesn't <laughs> no you know what right? cars are good over buggies okay <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah. i feel like that's coming from fear most of the people's yeah. comment is just coming from fear like uh talking about that now about writers the um, american writers are on uh, strike right now because mm-hmm. they fear that ai tools are replacing them well write better I don't know, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, stop remaking old movies. Yeah. Oh, you dude, like, for sure AI could be a Hollywood writer right now. Like, if you could, anyone could write a superhero movie with, with all of it. It's so formulaic. Oh, I my know. God. Speaking of, I was uh, just watching Shazam last night with my kid. And I was like, bro, I know what's going to happen, like, before yeah. they do it. And then I'm just, like, throwing out, like holes after holes after holes and then obviously i was asking my kid who's um how old is he? he's like in elementary i said yo what do you think of the movie he's like hey dad it was a great movie i'm like bro it's 6.5 <laughs> look there's like holes after holes after holes you know yeah and like no i mm, go ahead oh i was just gonna just no just, i was just added to it there's just so many shit movies out there and they're so predictable and I don't know, maybe AI will will help that. Maybe AI can just do the writing for those shitty movies and then we'll have other writers coming up with unique ideas and different ideas finally having a chance. Because if you see the amount of... That's why I kind of got away from screenwriting because it just made me so depressed. Like at least with literature and writing, like I I write something, uh, some people buy it, but I'm not successful. And then of course I get down because i would love to be a professional writer i would love to stop working all these soul-sucking jobs that i hate um <laughs> right but then i get i get a little bit down but then i look at some other uh big writers and i'm like this this is amazing i can learn from this sometimes not sometimes like some pulitzer prize winners like once they have a name they could just fart and everyone would love it mm. um but like when it comes to screenwriting i got so depressed because it was like so many horrible movies getting made. Like, why is no one buying my screenplays? Or, I, or even just being a writer in the writing community and reading some brilliant screenplays mm-hmm. and knowing that they're not getting out there, and mm-hmm. then seeing the shit get made. It's just like the, there's uh, no meritocracy in that mm-hmm. world. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, coming, give you a different perspective about that. People could say, "Why don't you make your own movie?" Money. No. <laughs> you have an iPhone or an I- like a, a smartphone. True. You know. True. But yes, I agree with you. You need money, and you know you want the budget, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's one but, thing to, that I wanted to do, like short films. But when I approach, okay, when you want to create things, do you? Th- of course, you create, and you just want to create. Do you always think that, like, I want to make money off of it? No, but, um, well, 
that, like that's not the driving force, mm. right? For me to create something, it has to be something that I'm passionate about, has to be something I believe in value-wise and everything. And then I start thinking about like, how can I make money with this? What do I have to do to make sure that I'm reaching the right people? And I, I, I'm no good at it. <laughs> Maybe get naked while uh, you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I follow all the marketing advice there is. Then I, you know, I put something out there and I mostly just get really good feedback, but then it just doesn't get out there mm. enough to actually make any money. Um, I don't yeah. know. So I'm, I'm lost with it right now a little bit. It's something that I'm struggling with. Yeah. I mean, I understand. And then you'll see someone post something that, you know, standing here and talking about something that they lifted from someone and they get like million views. And oh, you know, yeah. I'm like, yo, you stole that from, I don't know, Plato or Nietzsche or someone, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, speaking of that, like, I've seen a lot now that this reels, especially in Instagram or TikTok, that people talking about uh, quotes or in inspirational quotes or studies and saying, oh, by the way, this is what you do, and they get millions of views, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like we're back in the 90s when someone could just tell you what's up and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the real thing without checking even though we have the Google thing, but because we respect and understand, or maybe we're lazy to check, we're just spreading these ideas. Like, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Back when I was young, somebody told me when I was young that growing up in the Philippines, that Metallica came to the Philippines, right? And apparently, they will never come back because one time, well, when they were playing, uh, one of the members, I think it was Kirk Hammett or someone of, one of them, jump to the crowd and no one caught them because Filipinos doesn't know what a crowd surfing is. <laughs> Bro, for years, I said, that's real. It happened. Dude, that is not real. That is not real at all. But in my head, uh, but I feel like we're reverting back to that. Yeah, and that, that actually ties into what we were talking about earlier with ChatGPT, right? Mm. Like, are we supposed to just take these answers at face value? <laughs> and that's one thing I think ChatGPT should work on too is, is um, a way to get citations. Mm. I, I think it would be so much better is if you ask for an answer and then you ask, can you cite this for me so I can like cross-reference it? Because that's mm. kind of what you should do <laughs> when you're investigating it. something anyways. Most people don't, but... Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I agree with that. Like a great example, I was talking to my to my kid and I said, "Yo, did you know that if you look at water?" By the way, I saw this on Instagram. I never check if it's real or what the studies about or where it came from. I just told my kid, "I said, yo, did you know that if you look at water for like whatever amount, it's gonna make you feel good?" <laughs> Thankfully, I'm <laughs> raising this smart kid. So I'm like, Dad, how? Tell me how. <laughs> I said, I don't want to do it. It makes you feel good. I'm like, well, tell me how. And I was like, you know what? It actually made me Google and read about the study, which was done in UCLA. Apparently, if you do, they make people look at water. It could be anybody of water. It could be like a swimming pool or whatever. For, let's say, 30 seconds, it will actually calm you down and make you feel good. Chemically, I don't know what's happening in the brain or whatever. They didn't explain it. But one thing for sure, it, it does not make you feel good in the long run. At the moment, it will make mm. you feel good, but not for the long run. But my point is, thank God I have this kid that said, dude, 
no, okay, I don't know what about this. It doesn't even make sense, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I feel like we're back in the 90s, we're like, Nolan, did you know that? And then you just <laughs> take it like it's real, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your podcast, Without Borders. Why did you name it Without Borders? And what is it all about? Um, so the way I always open it up, as you know, it's um, Welcome to Without Borders. is the podcast for nomads, expats, immigrants, refugees, third culture kids, or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. And then that last part, they're inescapably foreign. Um, because I know that there are people who haven't traveled a lot, but their parents come from a different culture and they're raised in a different culture. Mm. Um in their house while they're living in a different country. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I'm always exploring in one way or another, because it just defines who I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, with, with the podcast and with just the project on Substack and everything as well, I started to think about, okay, I, some, what, I want to create a community with my writing. I, mm. And with my podcast, what what I love telling stories. I'm obsessed with uh, storytelling and narratives. Um, what do I have that's kind of unique in the world? And I thought kind of like the third culture child thing, which isn't that unique, but I do have my own perspective there. And I started just wanting to share other people's stories to, to break down borders, because mm. I think one of the the main problems in the world is is like just having these divides between people and people just kind of being boxed in their their little cultures and i think that's where a lot of the arguments and everything come from right like another mm -hmm. thing i'm really passionate about is is the environment and climate change and everything but there are people that are just way better than me and way smarter than me in that field mm -hmm. um but i was like what what is one of the things i'm the best at what am i really good at and it's Talk like thinking shit. about culture <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like really just culture and like breaking down borders. It's just something I've always had throughout my life. Like people are always like, no, man, you make me think differently about this. And I guess that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to help people think differently and also for myself to keep thinking differently and getting new perspectives. Mm. Speaking of borders, yeah. there was an episode that you released was a guy talking about not having physically like no borders at all. What's your opinion about not having borders? Do you think, like, especially in Europe, like, you can pretty much travel all over the place, not like in America and, uh, you know, in South America and Canada? Do yeah. you think it helps or do you think it's detrimental? Um, well, in Europe, like, so Europe's example, I think, is, is excellent. I think the rest of the world should start copying it when <laughs> it's possible and if it ever will be possible. Um, but like no borders, no. And that, that's also what I don't mean like with without borders. I'm not one of those people promoting like there should be no borders at all because there are good things about borders. They um, they kind of keep linguistic heritage, which mm -hmm. I think is a really important thing, right? Um, borders, they also help to keep terrorists out and things like that. Like, I'm not one of those people like, oh, look at those terrorists, <laughs> right? But um but just like keeping certain values of that culture alive, keeping the language alive. And then also, yeah, it aids in regulation of laws and everything. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand why the law uh, borders are there, why they're necessary. 
And that's just like here in Europe, there are still borders. Um, there's still a lot of effort and work put into keeping certain languages alive that are dying out. Um, mm -hmm. And borders help with that. What I mean with like without borders is more of this borderless thinking and people going beyond these borders, people mm. breaking these borders. Mm. Um, that's kind of what I mean. Um, and then, yeah, in the more technical sense, I am definitely very pro like ease of immigration and things like that in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, not in all, but like in, in most cases. So I do believe in more laxed borders as well. Mm -hmm. And that's something I want to promote with, that's like one of the other things with the podcast. I always try and share people's immigration stories to show like, look what immigrants want to do and kind of just to counter that negative rhetoric about mm -hmm. around immigration and immigrants because the vast majority of immigrants want to do something better. They want to create a better world. They're there for the country. They're willing to adapt to different cultures. Um, but of course, whenever something negative happens, it just gets thrown out there. Um, mm -hmm. So just trying to throw out more of the positive stories. And then throw out more negative stories about bureaucracy because I fucking <laughs> hate bureau bureaucrats. And any bureaucrats listening to the show right now, uh, <laughs> always I don't think we always have willing. Okay, I'm willing for. I'm, I'm hoping for a rebuttal one day. But I swear, I don't know what it is about bureaucracy, but it just seems to attract the laziest, most sadistic people, like people that just don't give a fuck about humanity, want to do shit all. And then they just like love to have the power with some papers in your hand, in their hands. Yeah, oh, I hate that anyway. too. I, But I, I see what you're saying about the bureaucracy is just, it stops people from improvement. Yeah, from progress. It limits yeah, progress. progress. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. However, we need government. We need bureaucracy, of course. Yeah, we need it. But yeah. how do you think we can avoid that, though? Like, how, we, we need bureaucracy, but how can we stop or like, eliminate these people that creates red tape for no reason? Digitalizing shit, man. Like, this, <laughs> To me, it seems, I don't know why it's so damn complicated. I mean, I can look at my phone. It knows my blood pressure. It knows my name. It knows where I was born. It knows what I'm probably going to do in five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Everything about me is there. But mm -hmm. then when I have to go move to a different country, I have to prove who I am. This <laughs> is like the biggest stacks of paper. And if I don't sign it in the correct place, then, oh, then I can't prove who I am. It wasn't signed in the correct place. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, this like shit like that. Um, <laughs> this is just use the technology that we already have out there so people can prove who they are. It's money, bro. It's always about yeah. the money. Like, Because yeah. if you say that digitalizing things, you will have to cut a lot of people's work. Yeah, bureaucrats like work. So you know, good. <laughs> I'll give you an example from the Philippines. When we're coming here in Canada and we have to apply for a passport, first of all, we had to line up at four in the morning. We have to line up because the lineup was insane. It's insane, right? And then you have to prepare. Think of any documents that is possible that is connected to you. You have to bring it. They were asking for my grade one IDs from school. Who keeps that shit? Like, they were um, insane. That's insane. That is insane. I was like, yeah, that type of shit doesn't make, it doesn't like it doesn't make, make sense, sense, right? 
And then it's funny no. thing when we got finally we got into the line. We lined up four in the morning. We got to the line. I think it was like I'll say about four thirty p.m. Under the Philippine sun, the heat of that sun blasting to your head, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. We finally got to the window. Thankfully, the girl said, "Okay, good, your pass." My sister got canceled because apparently she was she didn't have her grade two ID. Who keeps that shit? <laughs> Insane. One one of my stories, and I mean, okay, so here is where I check my privilege. I realize I am very fortunate. I have two passports: Canada and Belgium, two of the best passports in the world. I've got pretty easy traveling. I'm white. Right, like being white in an airport, I have noticed the difference. Like, I I realize the privilege there, um, but then even I have to deal with shitty things. And then I realize, oh my god, if it's bad for me, it must be so much worse for so many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, like here in Spain, I, I even had a lawyer. Okay, another privilege thing. I was able to afford um, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets everything organized. Tells me what I have to bring. One of those things was having um, health insurance, right? I had health insurance. He checked it. He said it was okay. We get to the office. Says this health insurance isn't valid. Um, we need, we need the dates of how long you've had it, and um, if oh, and that you're, that you're gonna have it for a full year. That was it. I had to have proof that I was gonna have it for the full year. And I was like, please, please don't kick me out. Yeah, just wait, wait, wait. Like espera, espera, espera. And I call the insurance company, which was Safety Wing, um, and they're like a nomad uh, insurance company. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. They picked up right away. They sent me the the document right away. And I was like, I can print it right now. And then they're like. Mm, you know what? That's actually not good enough either. And I was like, "What? Uh, uh, you need you need an insurance from a Spanish company." And I, I looked at the lawyer. I was like, "I paid you, man. Like you told me all this shit was in order." Um, yeah. And what happened? Did you get the papers or not? No, I had to set up another meeting, and then uh, it wasn't working. Oh, and then okay, counter argument argument to my digitalization because they've become modernized and everything's digital, you have to do everything via their website. They don't pick up their phone anymore, mm. uh, but the website doesn't work most of the time. <laughs> so it took months again. Uh, well, yeah, but that's not about digitalization. That's just their website being garbage. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dude, I think we're there. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I really do appreciate it. Before we close out, do you have you any too, last man. remarks or anything you want to say? Not really. I'm just um, grateful to be on the show and anyone else listening right now who is an immigrant, a refugee, third culture kid, um, please check out bornwithoutborders.substack.com. Um, any critique you have on the things I said today, I'd love to hear it as well. I'm always down to get into discussions, get new ideas and to form a community of people that want to break down borders. Beautiful. My man, Nolan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good evening. Bye. Again, Nolan, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Del Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.